Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they have learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Is This Room Free? And uh, this week's guest is um, a lady called Mags Kearns. Um, we, we've been connected for quite a while. We shared a couple of messages, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, something like that. Um, and then I, I don't really know what happened. I think stuff got in the way and then you kind of gave me a nice nudge recently. Just said, if you're still interested in uh, in the podcast, I'd, I'd love to be a guest. And that's brought us to where we are today. So, Mags, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you, Martin. Lovely to be here. Good stuff. Um, so um, I can never give it justice to, to somebody's own kind of situation. So for the benefit of the, the listeners, do you just want to give a, a kind of an overview of, of who you are and I guess what you're currently doing right now? Yeah, of course. Um, well, my background is human resources, as with all your guests. Um, I've worked in HR since I graduated um, more years ago than I care to mention right now. Um, but so I've worked in HR all those years in a variety of industries, all private sector, doing all kinds of um, HR roles, worked my way up from rookie HR advisor right up to kind of head of HR for the last couple of companies I worked for. But more recently, what I've done is I took a leap of faith and left the corporate world and decided to set up as a coach. And my speciality is to coach HR professionals. Um, And the reason I decided to coach HR professionals is because throughout my time as an HR professional, I realised that it is a blinking difficult role to do in all kinds of ways, not just the technical side of it, which, again, is challenging, but it's the kind of emotional and mental impact that working in the HR space can be um, for all kinds of reasons, which I'm no doubt we'll get into throughout the conversation. But I was aware that HR really have nowhere to go. I mean, we are essentially the employers um, and we never kind of have the experience of being the employee, even though we are employees for the most part. We never have that experience. We play the part of the employer and it's like, well, where do HR go to get help and support? And there, there generally is nowhere. Um, and, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion that people within the HR space really need some kind of help and support. And what I did initially was I set up a private Facebook group, um, which is called the HR Sanctuary, as a place where people can go to help and support each other. And on the back of that, you know, my coaching business started to develop because um, I realised there was a real need for um, HR people to have some support. And from there on in, I mean, the rest is kind of history, a very recent history, albeit, but um, I'm now a coach helping HR professionals with the kind of more challenging aspects of being in HR. So that's things like, you know, the emotionally draining kind of 
complex ER cases. A lot of them suffer with things like imposter syndrome, low confidence, low self-belief, um, and just a sense of, you know, kind of trying to deal with the challenges of what can often be a very thankless profession sometimes. And I'm not dissing HR. I've thoroughly enjoyed my career in HR and the upsides of, of, of being involved in employing people can be, you know, really quite special when you're dealing with things like talent development and culture development and the CSR agenda and all those kind of things. But that doesn't get away from the fact that quite a lot of what we do, um, in some cases, you know, an awful lot of what we do is the, the kind of downsides of employing people, which is the, you know, the kind of employee relation case, employee relations cases, you know, the disciplinaries, the grievances, the kind of change management things, which often involve people being, you know, made redundant and all that kind of side of things. So that's the kind of support I give with my clients is to help them navigate the kind of ups and downs and the roller coaster that HR can be, both kind of mindset wise and kind of professionally as well. Fantastic. It's, it is very, very interesting. You know, I, I'm just kind of reflecting as I'm as I'm listening to you there, and I'm um, something that kind of popped into my head was thinking of sometimes I get approached by um, maybe graduates who haven't done a HR related degree. They've maybe I don't know done um, a geography degree or a fine arts degree, something not not um, related to a, a, an actual kind of vocation and maybe a niche subject where they, they struggle to then go off and, and have a job in that. Mm-hmm. And they might have stumbled upon HR and they'll, they'll get in touch and say, um, hi, I'm, I'm looking to, to get into HR. And I'd always start with, well, what is HR? You know, what's I want to assess their um, understanding of what they see HR being. And they will often just say, well, you know, I want to – bring people into a business and I want to look after them. I want to make it a great place to work. And they'll talk about what I guess was maybe historically deemed some of the fluffiest stuff of, of HR, you know, that kind of um, conceived opinion that that maybe people had of HR once upon a time. And I'd, and I'd always say, you know, are you aware that you will be the person that maybe has to go through employee relations work if somebody has you know, breach policy or or stepped out of line. If there's a redundancy, you're going to be the frontline deliverer of that that news. Um, you are often put into a a really difficult situation at times, and I don't think I don't think many people go into the career of HR thinking about the that ugly stuff, that dirty stuff, that hard stuff that emotionally draining aspect it's probably not and it's and it's a it's a whopping big element of the job um Mm -hmm. and there's probably not enough emphasis put on it when somebody's maybe starting into hr or, or thinking about it of you know you can be a counselor you can um you can be a, a solicitor you can you know as you you're very much frontline in the trenches o- often decisions made by executive teams and it'll be maybe a hr advisor or a hr manager or business partner who would then you know 
not dragged out, but kind of put front and centre on the middle of the stage. And they're the ones who are in the firing line from all the employees. And and right, you, you know, you can understand why HR has this perception by a lot of people outside of HRs, you know, the hiring and firing squad and, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming down with the guillotine and, mm-hmm. you know, oh, here they are, HR turned up, mm-hmm. about to get, but well, mm-hmm. it off the, the business you know the mm-hmm. business yeah. and you can completely get it um because it it is put on the responsibility of hr people but yet i don't think many people go into hr aware of that side of things no i think i think you're quite you're absolutely right i think a lot of what you've you've said just now martin is very much the kind of drum that i'm banging all the time i mean i do quite a lot of work putting posts onto linkedin it's bloody hard isn't it seeing, trying to make people aware that you know that are not in the hr space how blinking difficult it can be and you know you know everything you say about it you use the words kind of dirty and ugly and it can be that you know those things and i, I think you know you're right i think perhaps a lot of people going into HR, you know, they see the kind of the culture development and the, you know, the talent development and, you know, recruiting and all that kind of thing, all the upsides of employing people, but they don't perhaps have that kind of deep rooted understanding at a visceral level of what some of the downsides can feel like. Yeah. You know, you study employee relations and stuff like that. You, you know, when you're doing your CIPD qualification or you might have done a degree in sort of people management but until you've actually sat in those meetings, doing the disciplinary meetings, the grievance, you know, hearings, um, you know, the, the the going into a room full of people to announce that, you know, a number of roles are going to be put at risk and, you know, sitting there, you know, in the firing line of the responses that you get from that, which can vary from, you know, tears to tantrums to quiet dignity and you know and to be honest it's the quiet dignity that always gets me the worst you know you know the the tears and tantrums you kind of kind of expect but the quiet dignity you don't but I mean you know there's a lot of tough sides to HR and and quite often you are seen as the bad guy because you're the one that's brought in to deal with those things you know you're not the instigator or the you know you haven't created those situations but you have to come in and try and and try and sort them out and you might argue well you know you choose you chose to do HR that was the profession you chose but that doesn't get away from the fact that it is difficult. It is emotionally draining. It, you know, if you're dealing with some pretty toxic grievance cases um, where, you know, each side is pulls apart in terms of, you know, their standpoint on something, um, you know, it can be pretty um, a bitter place to be, you know, a difficult place to be. And I think a lot of people don't get what that feels like unless they've actually done it. Yeah, um, you know, and when you do it day in day out like some co- couple of companies I've worked from you know it has been you know they've got particularly you know they've had culture problems that needed to be addressed but the symptom of the culture problems were the you know the kind of higher levels of employee relations cases than perhaps should have had um but nevertheless when you're dealing with it on a kind of conveyor belt basis blinking neck it does you know get to you yeah there's um, a member of my team and she she left her HR career behind and, and came, kind of joined me doing recruitment because um, she was she was becoming a HR advisor. She was kind of going through that kind of development and she just found it a bit too kind of um, overwhelming dealing with the casework. So it was a very case heavy environment. It, yeah. it wasn't necessarily manufacturing, but it was it was very close to you know a lot of um, kind of traditionally kind of blue collar type work. Um, 
and there was a lot of AR within it. And, and she said, I was just taking it home. You know, she's quite a, an emotional individual and um, she was just taking it home with her. She couldn't, you know, leave it at the office and, and go home and, you know, live a normal life. She was. Well, I don't think it's even to say she's a very emotional person. I don't think even you have to be particularly overly emotionally sensitive type of person. It's just being a human being. <laughs> it gets to yeah. you. It's going to you've got to be a pretty hard face not to let it get to you a little bit now and again. You know, it is, you know, something maybe has died a bit inside if you if you don't feel that kind of sense of empathy for people or, you know, the wall of negative emotion that you're just immersed in. Um, day in day out you know it really does get to you yeah I mean I, I was I was only in HR for six years so you know relatively short period of time if you look at um, you know I've been in, in work for kind of 20 years so yeah kind of a quarter of that almost um, yeah I dealt with some in that short space of time there are absolute instances that you know most people shouldn't necessarily be exposed to in the working working world i was i was held hostage in china um had to spend the friday afternoon talking someone off a train track who had um drug and alcohol um dependency issues because of um physical and mental um uh kind of impairments that they had um i remember a redundancy situation where we had to tell people two weeks before christmas that their role was at risk and we had exactly that tears and tantrums you know one extreme to the other um Mm. and that was all in six short relatively short years and Mm. nobody ever prepared me for any of that stuff and that's the bit of it that you're not prepared for it's not in the CIPD curriculum you know you're not taught how to do with it and there's no kind of you know like in counseling you have this thing called supervision which is a place to go and kind of offload and talk about cases you've had and things like that. HR, I believe, needs something like that where they can go and, you know, kind of have a sense of kind of de-stressing or releasing all the things they've had to deal with. And, you know, that's what I've tried to create with this HR Sanctuary group. My HR Sanctuary group that I've created is people put posts on there saying, this is what I'm dealing with at the moment. Can anyone help? Has anyone dealt with things like this? And you get lots of replies saying, you know, here to help, blum, 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 you know, with suggestions and things. And, and it's really great from that point of view. But, you know, that's what, you know, I've tried to create. So people have that sense of somewhere to go. And and I recently put a post in that group asking people, you know, what are some of the things that you have to deal with that you really find challenging um, that are, you know, not necessarily parts of, you know, the HR role, but we are expected to do. And because we are just decent human beings, we do it. And the responses were very like the things you've talked about. I don't think I've ever had a been kid- kidnapped and held hostage <laughs> in China. <laughs> that, that's a new one on me. But I've had had some of the other stuff. You know, the people with you know feeling suicidal, the people who have lost you know family members or children in you know tragic circumstances. You know, people that you know are feeling very you know kind of. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones we have, but you know, some really difficult, challenging things that people have had to deal with, and you know, we're not necessarily counsellors although we have great you know empathy and you know our kind of natural skills and emotional intelligence lends itself to being good at that kind of thing it is still very kind of training to have to deal with that kind of thing and you know you can't say no sorry that's out with my remit I don't deal with things like that people see HR as the kind of safe space to go for that and yeah we do it you know I've done many of those kind of things in my life in my in my career but 
having said that, you know, it does, you know. It's that lack of preparation yeah. for it, isn't it? You, you, yeah. you, nobody nobody sits you down and prepares you for that meeting of someone in walking in, walking in one day and saying, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. What? what does you know what can you do for me mm-hmm. how 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 is work going to support me if you're mm-hmm. a standalone you know hr advisor hr manager and this is your first standalone role mm-hmm. oh my god like where do you mm-hmm. how do you deal with that when no one's ever mm-hmm. walked you through that situation mm-hmm. before you just mm-hmm. you have to just fall back on okay what is the right thing to do mm-hmm. but yeah you know, yeah. your, your, your principles might not align with those of the the owner or the exec team so you might mm-hmm. be saying don't worry we'll look after you mm-hmm. and you go in and have a conversation with the exec team and they're like oh my god get them out you know mm-hmm. and there's it, it, just this whole myriad of so many different dynamics that you oh, yeah. deal with that you're just not prepared for yeah, yeah. I mean well, I have you know there's, there's like a, a phrase that you hear a lot in HR and it's you couldn't make it up it's like, yeah it's kind of a thing you hear us all say is like, gosh, you couldn't make it up, could you? Yeah. yeah. You know, the um what's the Adam K book? The you know, the the, the doctor. I can't oh, this, is, this is going to hurt. Is it that one? Yeah, there yeah. must be a HR version of that somewhere. There must be. If not, I think I might go off and write one. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what he's done very well out of it? So. Yeah, that's hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Look, I think I think what you're doing is is absolutely brilliant. And um, you know, we'll we'll tag in um the facebook group into the um the podcast notes as well because um it'd be great to try and direct people towards that because it sounds mm-hmm. like it's it's doing some fantastic work of, of the, the motive of it is completely the right thing it's just about trying to help people and create that mm-hmm. um like I say sanctuary community um just place where you can know others have mm-hmm. either been there or empathize with you completely and the other thing that i seem to get from it you know people saying to me and probably the most common response i get when people join it after they say oh my goodness thank i'm so grateful there's somewhere i can go is it's so good to know i'm not alone in feeling like this i think a lot of hr professionals feel like they're the only ones that have this sense of you know i just can't deal with all this emotional stuff and the kind of imposter syndrome the low confidence the self-belief just just the general battering that they have to put up with it's like I'm not the only one. I'm like, no, you're not. Everybody I coach or everyone in my HR sanctuary group has some element of this going on, you know, and they're like, oh, thank goodness it's not just me. So, yeah. it's, well, it's... The, the, the resources just don't exist, do they? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the CIPD don't provide this as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Um, in your local area, there's usually mock tribunals or employment law updates. The, mm-hmm. the, this, this topic or this activity mm-hmm isn't really addressed in terms of providing that support for people and and I think you said it right at the very very beginning of this the rest of the business are almost uh, ignorant is a too strong a word but they they're probably not even aware that or appreciative that maybe HR people are going through this in the organization you know there was um um Jane who um which she was on at the back end, Jane Murphy was the back end of um, series two and, and just the other week, you know, she spoke about when she was at Cadbury's and there was the, um, excuse me, the takeover by Kraft. And I said, you know, how did you feel when that happened? And she said, 
I had to park all my own feelings to one side and just do the job, you know, to look after everybody else before I looked after myself. Yet she was, she was as much at risk as every other employee, but nobody, I guess nobody in the organization Mm -hmm. looks at it that way and goes, how are you feeling? No, no. And that's how I'm coming that, that that example. And I've heard that a few times. Yeah. I've spoken to loads of HR people who um, there's either been a, you know, large-scale redundancy or maybe even a business closure and they've had to go through the motions for everybody else in the organization and it's only when they've actually you know maybe their role they know that their role is being made redundant but they've got to get on with it business as usual and only once it's actually then finished can they go all right now me and then they walk out and switch the lights off it's 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 literally that yeah. yeah 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 anyway so Let's let's kind of walk through your career then, kind of up until you know this point, because um, there's, there's obviously there must be something that's kind of led you to this point of wanting to do this. So it'd be yeah. interesting to to hear the backstory and, and how we've got to where we are. So mm-hmm. you just talk to me, kind of you know, how did you get into HR? Well, when I left school, I wasn't kind of sure what I wanted to do. All my family were teachers and I, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher, but it was like, what else was I going to be? So I thought I knew I kind of knew that I wanted to do something in the business world, but didn't know enough about it to, you know, what does an accountant do? What does marketing mean? You know, all this kind of thing. So consequently, I did a generalist business degree um, in Edinburgh. Um, and that covered all aspects of business. And as I kind of went through it and we came onto the well, HR side of it that's when I began to think oh I really like this aspect of it and we had to do an industrial placement as part of our degree which was you know got to the year out in industry and I actually very luckily got a job with the BBC down in London Wow! working in an HR team down there which was just the best time I had you know I was 20 years old and you know working at the BBC with all these famous people it was just amazing um but I, I worked in an HR team there and that's kind of cemented my kind of you know my belief that yeah I think HR is where I want to go went back finished my degree and then started to apply for graduate trainee jobs in in HR and kind of just worked my my way up from there you know I've worked for you know kind of pharmaceutical company I've worked in financial services I worked for Bank of Scotland which then became HBOS which then became Lloyd's Um, so I've worked in kind of all aspects of the financial services right from corporate banking to kind of call centre environments um, and I've also worked in food manufacturing. Last couple of companies I worked for have been food manufacturing. So, you know, quite a broad range, all within the private sector. And just slowly but surely worked my way up. And as the kind of head of HR was the, the last role that I did, uh, like the last couple of roles I did. So, yeah, just okay. slowly but steadily progressed my way up. And, you know, I have enjoyed it. I really do enjoy HR as a career. There's a lot of rewarding sides to it. Um, you know, it's not something that, you know, if it, you know, if I hadn't enjoyed it, I wouldn't have done it as long as I did. I mean, obviously it goes, it goes without saying that I've really enjoyed a lot of it. It's just, you know, that it has its, it has its challenging sides as well. Yeah. So let's, let's take a slightly maybe different approach. And so rather than go through kind of every single role that you've done, mm-hmm. how have you, you've progressed from kind of entry level all the way up to head of HR and now kind of um, set up your own um, kind of business. Looking back then, um, how did you manage to progress? What are the skills that you think make a good HR person? Oh, my God, that's a $64,000 question. Um, 
Because I think um, it, I also think it changes through through yeah. the, through the the kind of the hierarchy as you progress. Because I think the skills change. Yeah, maybe that's a good one. You know what? I, I I was very lucky. At very early in my career, I was thrown in at the deep end. When I look back and look at the sort of things I was doing when I was twenty five. I think, crikey, you know, I've been, you know, I was doing some pretty high-level stuff. Go on, elaborate. Um, what, what sort of stuff well, were you doing? You know, I was doing things like, you know, um, you know, they, they, they were opening, one of, the man, the, one of the early companies I worked for um, was a pharmaceutical manufacturing site, and they were opening new sites, and I would be the HR professional that was kind of leading on that. So it was like kind of recruiting all the people for it, setting up, you know, all the kind of, um kind of just all the kind of associated side of 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 when you're recruiting and and implementing a new a new manufacturing site so I had to do all of that um you know there would be big, big organizational change programs that I would be involved in um you know at quite senior level you know just things like introducing apprenticeships um leading on fairly complex you know employee relations cases um, you know, so just, you know, taking the lead at quite a senior level, even though I was only sort of 25, 26 years old. So, yeah. So how do you, dealing with, a, as you as you said, you know, very much in at the deep end with projects and activities like that. So when you've not done something like that before or you're given a task with huge amounts of responsibility, for maybe somebody who is at the early stages of their career, could you give any guidance or advice about how you would approach a situation like that because you know to think you're still in the early stages of your career 24 25 26 um if somebody then asks you to do something that's way out of your comfort zone or you've never done it before it can be very daunting to a lot of people and Mm. um you know did you have a really good kind of safety network around you did you have a were you kind of coached by a really good HR manager or director, were you kind of going out and, and I guess, learning yourself in how to do this? I'm trying to remember back then what I did. It certainly wasn't. I didn't it was only a couple of years ago, surely. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Um, <laughs> now I'm honestly trying to remember what it was like. I mean, obviously I'd done my CIPD and it was still continuing with the next level and the next level. So I had that and I did have the support of the people I was doing my CIPD with because we... Um, you know, we actually physically met. It wasn't all done in, online as it all is. It can be done nowadays. So I had that support network and and the, the kind of, you know, the fundamental theoretical side of it in terms of how to, to do those kind of things. But I just I think I just knew it from that and then just applied that knowledge in, in the real world. I think that's kind of what I did. I just kind of Are you learned. confident? Um, I'm... I, had, I wasn't particularly confident as an outgoing type of person. Person, I was a lot less confident than I am now. But I had confidence in my ability. I think, which is a different thing. Yeah. Um, I had self, you know, self confidence in what I was doing. Um, which is probably what got me through. I just felt I knew what you know. I just I probably blagged it quite a bit, if I'm honest. Um, but managed to get through and get the results I wanted, and yeah. I just yeah, and I probably didn't tap into network. There was a member local to me. There's a, an HR network, and it was all the kind of local at that time it was manufacturing companies. The HR people got together um, once a quarter, but we were all to get, you know we're all kind of um, in touch with each other between that. I and mean, you could tap into that. This was the days before Facebook and stuff, um, but you can get Facebook groups now that you can tap into for that kind of information. So there was that available to me. 
Um, and I'm sure I would have spoken to people, HR people that were kind of further on in their careers than me. Um, you know, I'd always advocate doing that. You know, if anyone asks me now how, you know, what's the best approach to take, I'm thinking speak to people whose opinions and kind of guidance you value and respect and, you know, ask them, you know, what they did and what they would do. And you will learn from that. You know, if you can find yourself a mentor, um, you know, that's a great place to to go. Um, do, you, do you have a mentor at any point? Did I have a mentor? Not officially, no, not really. I just had sometimes had good managers who taught me things and not necessarily my even my direct line manager. It could just be other leaders within the business that would teach me things. Because HR, I think, is very much... Yes, you've got to understand the HR piece and the you know the technical stuff and the legal stuff, but you've got to understand business or the organisation that you're working for because fundamentally you are trying to provide the people's strategy and the people kind of infrastructure to support the business or the organisation and achieving its ultimate goals. Um, and if you don't have a kind of deep down understanding of what that is, I don't think you can perform at your best so to get someone to kind of teach you business which I did have but you know it wasn't a formal arrangement I would just learn from speaking to them sitting in meetings you know you'd, you'd pick it all up and soak it all up and if you didn't understand something you'd ask you know or, or, or you know I'm quite I'm, I'm quite like that I'm a bit of a lifelong learner I love to learn um, and you know if I do join a company I love to really get under the skin you know, of, of what, you know, what the business does and what the roles are. You know, when I joined food manufacturing, I'm thinking, what does, you know, what does the food development, you know, the, I forget what the title of the role is, but it was like the kind of, the people that would develop the food products um, and the, uh, you know, the technical side of it and all the kind of internal auditing, you know, I became a qualified internal auditor. So I understand how manufacturing works. And, um, you know, I think the more you can get, you know, dig deep into what the business is about and what all the rules are um you know the better you can perform in your roles an hr professional absolutely for sure yeah i think the, the reason i was asking about um, a mentor is just um a, a common thread that has often come through um me talking to people on the podcast is that i mean when i was young nobody ever told me anything about a, you know a mentor or the opportunity to get a mentor and it was just something that completely passed me by because you don't know what you don't know no true yeah. there's been a lot of guests who've come on who you know maybe in their earlier um parts of their career have had a mentor and it's really really benefited them and and, and I would advocate it and say you know if you're um if you are somebody who wants to have a successful HR career go and have a mentor and, and sometimes it's good to have somebody that isn't in your in your company or within your HR function and you know they could be could sit elsewhere within the business mm-hmm. but certainly somebody external is really really good mm-hmm. um, but just listen to you then talk about you know really getting an understanding of the business that's the that's the that's the accelerator for me that's the kind of catalyst where you absolutely change and your own career benefits where you suddenly start to understand commercially how a business ticks what are all the components that make a, an organization work I think that's when you really pro- start to get into that business partnering mindset of okay rather than now just being reactive and you know something's come through to the the HR inbox I need to deal with this actually getting out there talking to mm. managers talking to directors what are the you know what are the problems that keep you up at night what's exactly that what yeah. are the struggles that you've got in your function mm. and can I come up with a solution on the people side that, mm. that helps with that 
and not only the directors, you know, it's actually going out on the shop floor. I've been rolled, you know, put on a, an overall and sat and packed on a, on a production line. Yeah, yeah. To see what that feels like and talk to the others as, as I sat around me and getting their perspective on things as well. So it's, you know, it's at every end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some of the best HR people come from the operations side where they've they've walked in the shoes of the people they're, they're serving. They, mm-hmm. They've seen it on the other side of the table um, mm-hmm. and they they know what it looks like in the mirror so to speak Um, and yeah I would always anybody who can you know if you've got got the ability to do so go and spend a bit of time doing something that isn't your HR job and try you know get an understanding of what what life is like in somebody else's shoes absolutely absolutely okay so so you I'm, I'm kind of interested to kind of break down your kind of career a little bit so um so you were at bank of scotland for um for a long time was that was that up in edinburgh i know they've got no no, no it was down in chester they had a satellite hr team so ah, HR i know team. they've got that that kind of big office in oh, the yeah. center so of edinburgh they also had chester there's quite a lot of um call centers and and things in the in the chester in the city um but having said that although i was best based in chester my my remit was the UK so you know I had business you were given kind of sections of the business to be the business partner of and I had you know parts of the business I was you know I'd go up to Edinburgh I'd go down to London um you know and you know other places as well so where were you living at that time then were you living in Chester yeah yeah although I'm Scottish I was living in Chester yeah we talked how did that move happen how did you go from Edinburgh to kind of the reason I moved from Scotland was when I graduated from university I was looking for a graduate trainee job and I was kind of happy to go anywhere and I got a job down in Chester. And uh, that first brought me down. It wasn't Bank of Scotland that brought me to Gotcha. To, to Chester, no. Okay, okay. So so you were at Bank of Scotland, yeah. you spent kind of a number of years there, kind of progressed. Um and then if I'm looking at I've, I've got you kind of your your career off your your LinkedIn profile. Um, yeah. so you went from Bank of Scotland, um then there was a bit of a kind of a break. Yeah, I lived abroad for a few years. Um, okay, what was that doing? My husband's job took us to Geneva and Switzerland. Wow. Um, in fact, that was before that, because then I came back from there and went to Bank of Scotland. Um, um, it was just a few short, you know, four years. And it was when the kids, my children were very little. So it was actually an ideal time to do that. So I just had a bit of a career break. And then when I came back from there, that's when I worked for Bank of Scotland in Chester. And I worked there for about seven years, I think it was. And then um, I did have another short break from my HR career where I had, my husband and I had been um, buying houses, renovating and selling them as a kind of hobby sideline, side hustle to make a bit of money for nice holidays and things. And it kind of took off a storm and we were making quite a bit of money doing it. And we decided to do it as a career for a bit. We actually set up our own you know, limited company doing it. And we did that for a few years. And then I decided to go back into HR after doing that for a while. You know, the market flatlined and stuff. So we decided to go back into, well, I decided to go back into HR. And that's when I went to work for a company called Calby. Ah, this is, yeah, this is the bit that I'm, kind yeah. of, the bit that I'm kind of looking at. Um, yeah, Calby, that was, that was a really interesting job. And I was, kind of, before we jump into that, I'm interested yeah. then. So if you can remember, what was it like trying to re-enter the workplace as a as a HR business partner? So having had a, a career break, because this is something that 
An HR break, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is something something that sometimes kind of pops up of people who um, have maybe, you know, taken extended maternity and, you know, had a couple of years out raising the kids or they yeah. maybe gone and um, chosen another profession for a couple of years and, and want to re-enter. And often people can find it really, really challenging that they are almost um, kind of overlooked and, and people go, well, you haven't been doing it for... I mean, sometimes I've heard you haven't been doing it for a year, so you're out of touch. And I'm thinking, oh, my, it's only a year. You know, it's yeah. not it's not that long. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you've been out of it for a couple of years or three years and, and people really then struggle to try and re-enter. And it can take them quite a bit of time. They can get demotivated. How did you, was it Was it a fairly straightforward process or were you looking for a while to try and re-enter as well? No, I applied for two jobs was offered oh you ruined now no I take what you're saying and I do I do know that some people find it hard I didn't find it difficult I was I say I, was, I went applied for two jobs and was fortunate was offered them both and took took the Calby one but I do know that some people do face challenges with that and I think there's a, there's a sense of I wouldn't say it's prejudice the word but just kind of yeah. limited outlook you know of people thinking that because you've not done the job for two or three years despite the fact you've done it for you know 10 years before that 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 you're going to be out of touch and you're a risk to employ but I mean you know yes HR moves but you can you know I just did some research I spoke to people saying what you know the HR professional colleagues and friends that I'd worked with that were still in the HR space and saying you know what's been happening in the HR world recently what should you know what's current and you know you just spend a good half a day on the ACAS website and you're up to date with all the law um and and you know that was good to go it doesn't um, it doesn't change at that faster pace no, no, it doesn't employment law no it doesn't and to be honest it continues to change you've got to keep up to date with it all the time anyway I mean because I mean look at COVID it was changing by the day when we went through COVID so I'm not a stranger to keeping up to date with employment law Let, let's flip that then um what do you think it was that you applied for two jobs and got offered them both. Why do you think you were? Because that I would very much say that that is the anomaly to to not struggle to come into it. So, do you think there was a reason why you um, were so success successful at, at re-entering? Well, I think you know I, I applied both the jobs I applied for were jobs that I had got lots and lots of experience doing. Um, because they were, they were both manufacturing jobs. Um, Did you which, target them then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I picked. I, I looked at jobs where, um, you know, I, where could I bring my best and you know, kind of my 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 experience and kind of understanding and knowledge of you know my practical applications of HR, and um, you know, and you know, when they ask you questions, what experience have you had of X, Y, and Z? I was able to demonstrate that I did, and you know, the you know some of the questions were, you know, what would you do in this situation? Those kind of hypothetical type questions or the competency based questions, and I was just able to demonstrate that yeah, I could bring all of that. Um, I think that's quite key. Then just kind of the learning from that, which is yeah. you know, don't just because so, so many people do just go right. I'm you know now looking for a HR role again, and they just start to kind of apply for everything that they see rather than going through that targeted approach and then when they maybe don't hear back from a, a lot or they're overlooked um it then starts to demoralize them mm. whereas yeah. i think if you if you look at you know where's the likelihood of me having more success you know have mm. i have i worked for the majority of it in one certain sector or one industry mm. or again be realistic about the level of role that you're looking at 
So I find that quite interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, I did all my research on both the businesses. So I was able to, you know, show an understanding of what they were about and what they were doing, I guess, by the questions I must have asked, you know, probably showed, you know, kind of the level of understanding that they were looking for. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not, and also something I say to anyone ever, if they ever ask me for my advice about, you know, applying for jobs and CV writing and things, I always say, you have a separate CV for every single rule you apply for. You never send a standardised CV. You always tailor it to the role you've applied for and highlight, not saying lie on it, but highlight the experience that you've got that's aligned with what they're wanting and take the rest out because it's just noise um, to them and, and make it very specific to what they're looking for. Um, and that is something I always say to people. It's just just kind of when they're reading the CV and no doubt you know when they're reading you you work in recruitment you know looking through a CV is quite a subconscious thing but after a while you're kind of just looking for keywords to come up and if you've used those keywords then then that will draw your attention their attention to your CV. Yeah I think that is a a very important thing that probably a tiny percentage of people do it's you know we're we're a society now of convenience and you know what's the what's the most minimal amount I can put in to get the most maximum return back again? That that's essentially where we are as a society nowadays. Mm-hmm. And to think, oh right, okay, I really really want this job, but do you know what? I'm just going to send my standard. See, and a lot of people's CVs are literally just a copy and paste job of their job description, which mm-hmm. is so boring to mm. read. And you spot them a mile off, don't you? Oh, and it doesn't tell me anything about why you're employable. It just tells me about what you have experience of doing, which, mm. you know, in any in any organisation, you know, a HR advisor, 70%, 80% of that job is going to be the same, same as a manager, a business partner. Mm. You know, there's going to be so much which is the same. So if you're just regurgitating the job description, you're very vanilla you're just blending into you could be one of anybody um what is it that makes me want to pull your cv to the top of the pile and say right this is the person we went into you first mm-hmm. and let's go and look at some others who we've got as a as a you know market comparison yeah and i think that's a very very smart way of just doing it going okay well, what's this role looking for am i literally am i reflecting that in my cv am mm-hmm. i telling them why i'm suitable for this role mm-hmm. and a lot of people just think well they'll assume that never mm-hmm. never get into that assume category no. because no, 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 no. you're gonna you're gonna fail more than you're gonna win exactly. on that one exactly okay so you you joined calby you um you went in as a hrbp you progressed up to head of hr yeah what what was that change like going from i guess were you the the kind of most senior hr person as the head of or was there a hr director above you no i was i, I was hr so <laughs> started alone oh um, just alone was it okay yeah well when I, it was a startup which was one of the great appeals of that role was um, it was a complete startup. We had, it was, Calbee is a massive Japanese company. If you went to Japan, you'd see Calbee everywhere, the snack manufacturing. Massive. Okay. And they had um, subsidiaries all around the world with the exception of Europe. And they decided as part of their strategic growth plans, they wanted to set up in you know Calbee Europe. And they chose um, just outside Chester as the location for their manufacturing site. And um, they wanted 
they pointed a guy in the UK who who they kind of plucked from another snap manufacturing company, and he was the uh, MD in the UK. And then he then employed a team around him of you know the heads of each of all the functions, and he chose me as the HR person. And we had nothing. There was absolutely nothing. No employees, nothing. So I had to set up the HR infrastructure from absolute scratch. That is a whole different ballgame. If you've not done that before and you think, oh, you know, how difficult can it be? It's so different. If you've not done it, it's really quite crazy, but so exciting. Um, you know, it was absolutely exhilarating, but a roller coaster because, you know, the ups and downs were quite, quite um Met, you know, quite quite a few of those but it, it was it was really really great place to be because I as an HR practitioner you're given this blank canvas to make this you know the HR the culture of the business whatever you want obviously in collaboration with the other you know the other senior team members that that we had but it was just such an exciting place to be and kind of in terms of developing the values what you wanted the culture to look like what kind of employer we were going to be you know, and you, you, you could just bring your own to that, you know. Important. So can I, can I ask you a little bit about that then? Again, for the benefit, for the benefit of the listeners who maybe um, have never been in a situation like that, because it, it is unique, you know, going in where it's a startup or where maybe, you know, in other instances, it's a slightly more established business, but they've never had um, HR before. No. So you can look at it and you can go, okay, we need everything we have nothing. Hmm. Where do you start? Because you, you've only got one pair of hands. You've only got so many hours in a day. You'll be getting pulled from pillar to post by different people who are coming in with demands. So you, you've got to put the the building blocks in. So you've got to put the foundations. You've got to have you know employment contracts. You've got to have um, your policies, your handbook. You've got to hmm. recruit. You've got hmm. to define what this culture is you've got to have your policies you've got all these different things as well as people saying mags i need to talk to you about this can you do this for me and next day or the next day next half an hour mags i need to talk to you about this can you do this for me how the hell do you go about putting some structure and organization into that when you go right we're the the starting line is zero but I need to be at the end of the race as quick as I can, but whilst covering every single thing off because it's all urgent. Now. Uh, do you know what you couldn't have? I couldn't have put it better myself, Mark. That's exactly what it felt like. The way you've just described it, and it was literally every half hour, Max. Have you got a minute? Have you got a minute? And it wasn't just HR stuff. I mean, to be That's honest, we call it is this room free because <laughs> it's the most common thing you say in HR. Um, I need to make is this room free. <laughs> I love that. I do love it. But it was I don't like... think anybody knows where the name comes from. And that and that's literally I look back on my HR career and I thought, what's the most common thing I said every day? And it was walking around trying to find a meeting room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, yeah. This, is this room free? No, yeah. no, we're in it. Oh, well, you haven't booked it. I booked yeah. it. I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll go and find somewhere else because you already sat there. <laughs> yeah, very common. Yeah, it's um, yeah, but the way you described it was absolutely spot on. It was you know a complete roller coaster. And I the, the view I took it was a couple of kind of things I sort of said to myself. One was you know try to keep the overwhelm dialed down. It was just chunk it down into bite sized blocks and thinking right what what are the immediate priorities and to me the immediate priorities were making sure we were legal and regulatory compliant um and you know as long as we were those two things initially 
Um, so you know, if you're talking about you know the kind of policies, the you know the contracts of employment, um, you know, and all the kind of just things like you know what do you call that thing, the the employee liability insurance, just everything. I mean, nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, all these things that you go and work somewhere, you just know will be there. And because we were food manufacturing and we were you know supplying at that point, but our first customer was actually Marks and Spencer. Um, and you know who they are very high in terms of compliance, regular the regulatory requirements they they put in place, um, and making sure that we were meeting all of those, not just as an, an employer, but it, you know, am I right? Is it the BRC? Is that the BRC? BRC yeah. is is a bit. I think you're exactly right. That's the, that's the kind of British Retailers Consortium. So they oh. that's a kind of centralised standard that all the kind of you know your Aldi, Tesco, Co, all of them feed into that, rather than each of them having their own they'll feed into this one centralised kind of regulatory kind of tick box that, that they come out and inspect you on behalf of all of them. And they can then look in there and to see what your last inspection rates were. Um, you know, and we had a we had a, a BRC audit pretty, not, not, it wasn't too long into the journey that we had that. Because as soon as we started manufacturing, you know, they've obviously got to come out and check that we're not knee deep in bugs and rats. And, you know, they've got so, to make sure. As soon as you started supplying... Yeah. You have to be compliant. Otherwise, you can't go. Well, well look, we're going to we're going to make it and get it in the shots, you know. But you know, like you say, we'll we'll deal with the rats in. You know, <laughs> don't worry, I've, that's on my to do list. <laughs> I mean, I just like to put a caveat out there: there were no rats <laughs> in case anyone buys Calby's products. Um, it was just a yeah, but um, yeah, we had to to make sure that. So, so the legal and regulatory stuff was the kind of first things I looked at. You know, made sure we were compliant there, and then it was starting to develop the culture. What kind of employer did we want to be? What was going to be? What did you know? Did we want to be different in the marketplace? Um, you know things like the pay and reward structures. You know what we were going to you know be in terms of payment. You know pay, you know how we were going to pay people in terms of amounts and you know the kind of package that we would put together for people. Um, and you know just it's it just all of that. You know as I say, every every aspect of being an employer, you have to we had to completely do it from scratch. It was not not just evolving things that already existed. You know so in some respects massively exciting in other respects it was like just exhausting because you, you you'd no kind of benchmark to start from you were starting from yeah. complete zero yeah I mean, that's just a blank canvas which i loved i mean i personally loved it yeah i mean i'm interested in again as you're saying things my, my brain just starts kind of whirring um yeah. um i'm kind of curious so when you talk about things like culture and pay and reward i'm just you know, if it was me, I'd, I'd kind of have an idea in my head of thinking, you know, well, this is what I want it to be. This is how I would set it. But it often doesn't just sit with you. You've got to run it. So in your instance, you would have had to run it by the MD and he may yeah. have a different opinion than you. So yeah. how would you get to the kind of point of, of kind of agreeing what, you know, pay would be or yeah. um, culture would be? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very collaborative. I mean, it was I was part of the senior leadership team from the start, and I was very, very lucky. The MD was a massive, was massively into the people, um, people aspect. That is a huge help. Yeah. Starting a, a massive help, and um, he was very, very people centric um, managing director, and that he, I, and he and I worked very well together. And to be, to be honest, we're pretty much on the same page. And he, you know, he very much saw me as the expert in my area and you know relied on me to come make sure we were legal and compliant you know he, he, he said I don't know how to do that you you know I, rely, I need you to do that but in terms of the culture and stuff we have some great you know discussions about what we wanted to do but we were it wasn't they weren't like 
you know, disagreements or having to persuade him, he very, we were very much on the same page, which was a lucky place to be. Um, yeah, that's... And then when we were recruiting, you know, we knew the kind of people we wanted to recruit, you know, and, and you know, we kind of went out and looked for that, um, particularly, you know, the, as we expanded at the senior level, you know, that's where we wanted to, you know, we were quite clear on what we wanted. And, and right throughout the five years I was there, you know, we worked together so well. Um in terms of, you know, as I say, developing the culture, which we, we tried to make ourselves, you know, an employer, you know, with a bit of a difference in terms of some of the things that we did. We tried to be quite innovative about how we how we employ people. We're very much into community engagement. Um, you know, we did a lot of work out in, the, in our local communities, both, um, well, you know, around the Chester area. Um, you know, we worked with schools, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the long-term unemployed, I'd go out and do workshops with, people that had you know, kind of furthest from the job market to help get them their kind of self-belief back up and in, in, into applying for jobs again, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, very much giving back to the community. Um, because when, when, Was that to try and hope that some of those people may then become future employees? Yeah, there was that. There was that. But I just think it's, a, I just think it's important that any local employer has a vested interest in, in, in the, in the locality that it's, that it's based. I mean, we, we, although we were a Japanese company, um, we did get kind of Welsh government funding to set up in um, in Deeside, which is just on the you know, over the border into Wales, which at the time was seen as a place of kind of social deprivation. You know, there was like high employment, so they were obviously trying to attract new employers um, into into the area. Um, but it was a kind of a sense of giving back to that as well. Um, we did all kinds of things like a period. You know, it's a, it's a, quite an idealistic, you know. I think a lot of people want to do it, but then they're not in as fortuitous a situation that they are allowed to do it. I think the difference for for us was that we were a startup, and therefore we weren't trying to change something that already existed. We were creating something new. Yes. That's always easier. You know, when you try and culture change, anyone that's done culture change will tell you it takes take years, years and years, you know, unless you're very kind of proficient at it. But, you know, 18 months minimum, whereas I was creating it all from scratch. So I, it was almost, as I keep saying the word blank canvas, but that's exactly what it was like. And, you know, we paired up a local primary school with a local primary school in Japan. And they all and the, all the kids became they had like an individual friend and they would do send videos of each other and all this kind of stuff. All there was stuff like that that we were doing. Um, it was just amazing. It was such an exciting time. I mean, not without its struggles, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It was great. Really fond memories of working there. Yeah. Good. So, how do we get from there to now? Then, so what's that kind of little journey that took you from that role to? Where I am now. Well, yeah. I, went, I left Calby in, oh gosh, what year was it? A couple of years ago. <laughs> kind of lose track of time, don't you? And I went, I just felt I'd done everything I could do there. The kind of, we'd got to a kind of place of plateau, if you like, and all that exciting development stuff. And it was just kind of ticking over. And I thought, yeah. I think the challenge. role changed, and it? It goes yeah. from a setup to a, a, a kind of a more of a maintenance role. Yeah, and, exactly and that. that. And I like think a different person. And I actually spoke to it and I said, look, I don't think you need somebody at my level here right now. I think what you need is somebody just to do the ticking over. And it's not really what I want to do. So I actually applied for another job and worked for another company called Thompson & Capper, um, which is a vitamin manufacturing company out in Runcorn. Worked there for, for about a year. And that it was while I was working there that this idea of setting up as a coach came into my head. Um, it's something I've always fancied doing. 
and kind of never really explored. But I just had this this kind of pull to do it became stronger and stronger. And I thought Was that it, because of the time like COVID and the timing of it all, or did it just suddenly feel the right moment? Well, I think it was a kind of combination, Martin. I think what it was was I was working there and, you know, it was a really, really busy role. It was standalone. There was about 400 employees and I literally was doing everything from the admin up to the strategy and it has a lot of employee relations stuff. Um, and I was already run absolutely ragged. And then COVID hit. And so you can imagine COVID on top of all that. It was just a battering. Um, Did you keep and- operating through? Mm. Yeah, we kept manufacturing throughout because it was vitamins. It yeah. was, um, you know, obviously, you know, yeah. key product for, for, for people, particularly because of COVID. So we kept manufacturing and everyone was in work. There was no kind of even hybrid working. Everyone was um, in the office and obviously in the factory. Um, but it was while I was doing that that I just felt this sense of how challenging HR could be. And it's kind of, I want to give something back and t- I didn't want to leave and do counselling or something, much as counselling is a great profession. I wanted to keep the HR angle because I'd you know, worked in the HR 20 years. I didn't want to just kind of give all that up. And that's when I had the kind of epiphany of, right, I'm going to become a coach. Went and did my coaching accreditation all while I was still working um, and also did my neuro-linguistic programming. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a modality yeah. of coaching, NLP practitioner and master practitioner qualification. And then um, decided to launch as a niche coach for the HR profession. So I'm still keeping my HR angle, but also doing my coaching, which was a win-win for me. And it's great for clients because when they're looking for a coach, you might they might see there's generic coaches out there like leadership coaches or business coaches or life coaches, all of which I'm qualified to do. But because I understand HR, I've worked in HR, I've got the T-shirts of the emotionally kind of and mentally kind of knackering, for want of a better word, type of work it can be. I know what it like, it's like to work in HR. And I often say to clients or you know, potential clients, I'll say, I know what it works to work in HR. And, you know, I, I, I know I don't have to say to you what that is. You'll know what I'm saying by saying that. And they all nod. I mean, that's the end of the conversation. We just have this knowing of what working in HR is like. And it's really hard to explain to people that haven't worked in HR. I think it's what... And that's part really, of why, you know, people come to me for coaching is because I've got the HR side and the coaching side and I can bring both. It's exactly what works well for us. You know, myself and all of the team on the HR equipment side, we've all worked in HR. We, you know, and so much feedback we get from clients is, oh, we love that you just get it, you know, rather than kind of talking to somebody who's never worked on that side of it. It, it just makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? That oh, yeah. You just, you can see it in the other person. They go, oh, thank God you, mm. you just get it. That's what they do. They do. They say they get it. You, you just get it. And, you know, I've got the imposter syndrome T-shirt, you know, the low confidence, the the kind of, you know, the overwhelm and getting close to burnout. You know, I've, 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 I've you know, been pretty close to burnout couple of times and you know I, I know what that feels like and why it happens but I also can help coach people back to a place of being you know resilient and robust again you know that's 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 yeah. what I do. So who are your who are your customers then is it the is it the individual who approaches you is it the 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 employer who approaches you? At the moment I deal directly with HR professionals so it's, it's individual HR um, professionals who, who I coach. Oh I guess I mean, more kind of um, did, so Let's say I'm a HR manager. Do I kind of, and I've come across you, do I then kind of come and um, engage with you and pay, yeah. pay by myself or do I approach my employer and do they? Or, 
Yeah, well, it works. It works a couple. It works in different ways. Um, I mean, I, I, my contact is always directly with the person, but very often they will say, "I'm going to." Act, you know, they say they want the coaching. I, you know, have a kind of what they call a discovery session. You know, that check we're a good fit. They decide to say, "Yeah, they want to do it." Very often, or sometimes, I should say, they will go to their employer to ask them if they will fund it. Um, and I would say probably about fifty to sixty percent fund it themselves. Maybe forty percent is the company at the moment. And how do you, how is it kind of online? Do you do videos? Is it face to face? It's all it's all um, online. So I do it all by Zoom. Okay. Um, at the moment, you do nationally I do, then. Pardon, I do national. I've actually internationally. I was going to say, got, or is it international? Yeah, yeah. I've got a client in Dubai. I've got a client in Canada. I've got a client in uh, Copenhagen. Yeah, I've got a few all over the place. So yeah. Um, so, but it's all done on Zoom. So, you know, that's the beauty of uh, of Zoom is that you can coach anyone anywhere. Um, and I do actually a six session program at the moment. That's how I work. I don't do like by the hour or by the session. It's, it's a six session program. That's a framework that's very much designed for the HR professional. Um, but having said that, it's not a one size fits all. It's very bespoke to each client. So. Okay whilst you know I do a deep dive questionnaire and kind of question and answer session as part of the first session and after that I write a program proposal that's unique to them in terms of the subsequent sessions that will get them closer to their quite intensive on your side then to um to kind of tailor that to each individual so I could come to you and say I really want to um develop my career but I you know struggle with imposter syndrome um and you could kind of talk around that and then you might identify that um, I've also been through some traumatic experiences within HR. So you'd kind of do a lot of that kind of deep dive. I guess I guess session one is you asking lots of questions, yeah. um, listening a lot, making notes, and then you go away and create a, a tailored plan. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. Basically, that's, that's what I do. And it could be... Because well, a lot of people would just go, oh, here's a six-stage program um sign up to it and no. you know everybody gets the same thing no 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 because that, that would serve people because there's going to be some aspects of it that just wouldn't be interested because i've got clients who might have to be quite confident and confidence isn't an issue so i don't include that in their package but i've got other clients who maybe two or even three sessions are all about building confidence um, and there's probably easy. about there's probably about you know 15 or 16 different sessions i could do but I will pick five or six that will be most relevant to them. And some session, you know, some topics I can maybe do two in one session. And um, it just depends how it goes. It's very fluid, very flexible, and it's as I say, it's very bespoke to each client. Um, so, and you know, what they need or what they'd like to get out of it is 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 unique to them. You know, it can be just getting some kind of clarity around where they want to go practically. And I know I'm not happy where I am. But I just haven't got the headspace to think about where I'm going to go and what direction I want to go, how I'm going to get there. Um, and so, you know, we'll work through that, you know, getting the clarity of where they want to be, remove the mindset blocks that might be stopping them getting there, like limiting beliefs or just fears or um, self-sabotage or, you know, kind of all those kind of things, people pleasing, perfectionism, all those kind of stuff. We work with all of those. Or it could be just, you know, the, as I say, the, the kind of confidence that's crippling. I have clients that come to me that just will not speak in meetings. You know, that that's the level of, of fears, you know, some of the kind of confidence issues that they have. It can be how to deal with challenging people. What do I do about this toxic environment I work in? Toxic can mean lots of different things, but it can be a dysfunctional leadership team. It can be a box, boss you're not aligned with. It can be, what else could it be? You know, just challenging colleagues or a culture that's just not working um, or not aligned with your values. I do a lot of work on values. 
you know, finding out what your values are, why they're important to you and what we can do about if you're not aligned with those and making sure that your values are then part of any future decision you make so that they are robust. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, how long have I been doing this now? Seven, seven years about on the HR recruitment side. Um, and I'm finding it, as the years pass by, becoming more and more prevalent that people are talking about um, joining an organisation that aligns with their values. <clears throat> Maybe, you know, six, seven years ago, I might have had the odd person who might have said it, and, and it's becoming more and more frequent in conversations, you know, and ask them, what is it you're looking for from your next role? That is becoming a, a central, really? oh, yeah, central point of it. Saying, That's interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. That's my experience as well with, with the clients. But it's interesting as a recruiter, that's what you're, you're getting as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's hard as a recruiter because, you know, trying to match intermediary, mm-hmm. you know, someone's own values and, and organisation's values. Um, we only kind of skim the surface with it. Um, but it's definitely becoming more and more um, prevalent in the wants and needs of what people are looking for, which is, which is great, you know, because mm-hmm. when I was younger, it was just, you know, a job that was the right salary in the right location. And, <laughs> yeah. and they were my prerequisites. Whereas yeah. now we're mm-hmm. really, um, we're going much, much deeper mm-hmm. than that. And and people yeah. aren't just accepting, you know, oh, great. Well, it's it's mm-hmm. a job and thankful that somebody wants to employ you. It's, yeah, exactly. Actually, that, you know, that, 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 that the landscape's completely changed in terms of employing people. And it's much more about what the the potential employees looking for the candidates looking for as much as the company it used to be much more biased the other way as you know it's it's very much what's happening and all the research shows that you know it's all the millennials are coming it's 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 values it's you know their development it's ethically what the organization does all, all those kinds of things are really coming into their kind of questions about who they're going to work for and who they won't work for and i think quite a lot of people are you know, they're experiencing the downsides of not being aligned with their values and thinking I'm not going to be in that situation again. And, you know, I've been bitten by that and I'm not having that again. So therefore, I'm going to really make sure that the next employer meets my values. And, and so I don't have that experience again. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. I'm um, I, I registered. Um, so working with kind of somebody um, and she appreciates um somebody in the us actually and she appreciates she's got an amazing opportunity which is exactly what you were talking about she's joined an organization where she's she, she's the first ever hr person so she she can appreciate this opportunity of it would look so good on a career to set everything up from scratch but she's looking to leave because the values they're not a value centric organization and she has worked for one previously and, and wants that again so mm-hmm. although she knows she's got an amazing opportunity in front of her she isn't going to sacrifice her own um wants from an employer just for the sake of you know career mm-hmm. gain or development she would rather go and work in a very different role in a values-based or purpose-driven organization i would say so if your values aren't aligned then you're always going to have red flags and problems. You know, if a, com- if, a, if a client comes to me, or a potential client, and they're saying, you know, I'm not happy where I am, I can't quite put my finger on why. As soon as they say that, I know there's a value misalignment before I even delve, delve into it with them. And then when we do, bingo, there it is. But they just haven't articulated or thought about it as that. But it's exactly what it is, you know. 
Um, cool. Yeah, and I think as long as you don't have that, you'll have a problem. So no matter how much money they're paying for, paying you to do the job, if you're not aligned with your values, it's not worth it. You know. Exactly. Well, Max, that's an hour's gone already. Well, probably just, just over an hour. Yeah. Um, I, I find it. I think the bit I find most fascinating is the fact that you um, you tailor each one to each um, each person. I think that's amazing. I wasn't I wasn't expecting you to say that. Um, I think just because so often these things are a little bit more kind of off the shelf um, yeah. programs. Um, not to say they all are, but maybe that is potentially the perception of these things. So I think it's it's brilliant. Um, I know you were saying you you're quite active on LinkedIn and you put a lot mm-hmm. of kind of content and advice out so I'm guessing yeah. people want to have a look at some of the the stuff that you do you know connect with you and, and follow you on there but um, definitely I would point anyone in the direction of the the Facebook group um remind me of the name of it again it was the Facebook group's called the HR Sanctuary HR Sanctuary I knew the sanctuary I wasn't sure if it was the HR Sanctuary or something yeah. else so um definitely everybody um whether you're in the UK US Canada mm-hmm. Dubai, Australia, wherever you might be based, um, definitely go and have a look at that because that sounds like an amazing um, platform and, and group to be a part of. Um, if anybody's interested in speaking to Mags about getting some support, um, are you open to new clients at the moment? Oh, absolutely. Always, always. I mean, if you want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Just connect with me on there if we're not already connected and then drop me a message. Um, I do have a website, it's just magskernscoaching.com, um, tells you a little bit more and again how to get in touch with me on that. But LinkedIn's the best way, it's the quickest way. I'm on LinkedIn pretty much all day, every day. So, That's pretty yeah. much how we've spoken. It's yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, the website doesn't, it's, it's, it's not such a big thing I find with kind of, you know, getting in touch with clients. It seems to be LinkedIn and the Facebook group, um, which are my main sources of connecting with people. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Max, thank you so much for coming on and not only sharing your story, but also the amazing work that you do. So much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Martin. And there's another show in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it and really appreciate you listening. We've received so much feedback from people who said how helpful these conversations are and how the insights are helping individuals with their own careers. However, to get the podcast to a larger audience, we need your help. Please could I ask you that you'd write a review on whichever platform you're listening to this on, as it's the ratings and reviews which really help get a podcast promoted. So if you could spare just 30 seconds to write us a review, that would be really, really appreciated. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us on the next episode and I'll see you then. This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. But we're not your typical recruitment agency. When I created Hire People, I very much wanted to rip up the rule book when it came to the model I felt a recruitment business for the modern times should adopt. I've been an internal recruiter as well as a HR manager using the services recruitment agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I've also been a job seeker on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and very much like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and go and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously driving those standards higher. We are highly innovative and introduce the number of features that distinguish us from your typical recruitment agency. We offer a six-month 100% rebate. 
We've introduced the innovative and groundbreaking Hired 360 product, which has brought 3D CVs and 3D job descriptions to the market. And we very much place the emphasis on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, get in touch and let's see how we can help.